Grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 19. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 18. We're gonna talk about 19 a lot today. But we're gonna cover Genesis chapter 18. Uh, If you did not get a handout, you can put your hand up and somebody from the Connections team will hook you up. Uh, Digital copies, uh, you can get notes digitally and take notes digitally from mbtkc.org. Click on the sermons or YouTube, you can click on the social links and you can download the PDF. But uh, my name is Sam Miles, I'm one of the pastors here at MBT. Uh, Been out of pocket for the last couple weeks, but uh, praise the Lord, we're back in Genesis. If uh, there's a running bet on how long it's gonna take us to get through Genesis, and I feel like uh, everything is conspiring to take us into 2023, (laughs) and it will. Uh, Some people think we'll be in Genesis in 2024. So help us God by his grace, we will finish up early middle uh, next year. Okay, Uh, but there's there's a lot. There's a lot in Genesis and we need to look at it. So let's pray and then we will get to work. Father, Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name and and God, we just confess that we need you. Uh, Lord, there are beautiful pictures in your word and the principles that come out of your word and out of those pictures, they need to be applied to our life. And, and so here we are today, we're a local church that is made up of different people groups, different ages, different demographics. And, and so you've got hundreds of people with hundreds of different circumstances and, and yet Lord, you're able through your word and your Holy Spirit to make application to every life. And so, Father, we want to confess to you that we're trusting you for that, that, God, you'll take the weakness of my life, the stumbling of my lips, that you'll set all of that aside. You are God. We're your people. Have your way with us this morning. We trust you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're going to see here today in Genesis chapter 18 is just Abraham's really maturing. We're going to see his compassion. We're going to see it in his relationship with the Lord, and we're going to see it in his burden over the lost. Um, Abraham is setting a pretty mature example for us in Genesis chapter 18. Doesn't mean he's arrived, but he is obviously growing uh, in Christ. Genesis 18 verse one, the Lord, and the Lord appeared unto him, unto Abraham in the plains of Mamre. And he, Abraham, he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran. He ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. Okay, so what we're gonna see is a patriarch whose faith shows up in his practice, a practicing patriarch. Uh, Abraham is now faced with the Lord's appearance. And the Bible says that three men stood by him. Why three? Well, the Lord's showing up. So the picture there, right, obviously, there's a picture of the Trinity or the Godhead being illustrated. God's showing up, and it's the Lord Jesus with two of his posse to picture the Godhead. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 says, uh, gives the summation, right? Uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all, amen. And the Apostle, uh, the Apostle John says that these three, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, these three are one. He is one God. So who are they? 
Well, we don't know who the other two are. Their names aren't given, but this is Jesus and the two angels. This is another theophany. It's a Christophany. Uh, It is the Lord God showing up. That that capital L, capital O-R-D, right, in all caps, that's shorthand for you to know that this is talking about Jehovah himself. Anytime you see that in your King James Bible, capital, all caps, L-O-R-D, that's shorthand for Jehovah, for Yahweh. So God himself with two of his angels, and I know this because I pay attention whenever I read my Bible. I mean, you look at verse 16, you look at verse 14, verse 17, verses 20 through the end of the chapter, it's the Lord that's speaking, but look down at verse 22. The men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. So Abraham standing before the Lord, that's one. The men turn, that's the other two. So there's three, it's the Lord and two men. And then in Genesis 19 verse one, okay, we find out at the end of 18, they move on toward Sodom. And then we get another clue in chapter 19 verse one, there came two angels to Sodom. So these men are angels. This is the Lord Jesus with two angels meeting with Abraham. This is why the Bible tells you in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse two, be careful not to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, obviously, Abraham knows he's got a meeting with the Lord and says as much, but, but, but what he may or may not know is that angels are with him. Now, I want you to think about where Abraham is sitting. He's sitting in his tent in the heat of the day, but contrast that with where Lot is sitting at this exact same time. When we get to Lot, we're gonna find out that he's sitting in the gate of the city of Sodom. Abraham is sitting, don't miss this picture, he is sitting where he can see the Lord, where he can serve and receive the Lord, but Lot is sitting in the gates of a wicked society. Whenever somebody's sitting in the gates, they're part of the city leadership. He's on the city council at a minimum, okay? He is leading a wicked society. Now, he's sitting in the tent, in the, gate, in the door of his tent, and then these three men appear. So how did they get by him? I mean, he's, you know, he's sitting and he looks up and there they are. Uh, just, there's three men out of nowhere. Okay, when three dudes teleport to where you are, that's a really big deal. Okay, that means something important is going down. You're, you're getting ready to have an important meeting. And so Abraham clears his schedule. And in verses two through eight, I want you to see this beautiful picture of a proper fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this now. And he, Abram, lifted up his eyes. He lifted up his eyes and looked. And lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, my Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee from thy servant. So I want you to, in verses two through eight, I want you to see Abram's response, Abraham's response to the Lord showing up in his life. So response is your next blank. Again, this is a, what he's, he's, it's a beautiful picture. Abraham has proper fellowship. His response to the Lord in his life is proper I mean, A, he's, he's looking. I mean, that's the first thing. He's looking for the Lord in his life in verses one and two. But he hungers to be with the Lord. Whenever he sees the Lord show up, he runs to him. He ran to meet them from the tent door. What's he doing? He's hungering to be with the Lord. How old is he? How old is he at this point? How old is he when Isaac is born? 
He's 100, right? So he's ever been a 99. Okay, if, if I make it to 99 and I run that year, I win. <laughs> like I've won, I, like I, man, I, success. Okay, he ran to meet him. Why? Because he, he longs to be closer to the Lord. And he's humble. Look in verse two, he's bowing himself and he confesses Christ as his Lord. He calls him my Lord. And then he longs to abide in his presence. He says, if I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away. But he's also hospitable to God. Look at verse four. He says, let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that, you shall pass on. He says, I'll get you some crackers. He promises a morsel. He promises a snack, but he delivers a feast. Okay, this is brilliant. You wanna do that in life. You wanna under-promise and over-deliver. That's what he's doing. Let me just go get you a snack. Let me get you a morsel of bread. Watch what he does. So he runs back. He says, uh, he, says, uh, he says, I will fetch you a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, so do as thou hast said. And so in response to this opportunity, verse six, Abram hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of fine meal kneaded and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran unto the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto a young man and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them and he stood by them under the tree and they did eat. So again, Abram's response is, let me get you a snack what he really does is he's preparing this feast for these three and, uh, and he's refreshing the Lord, right? He's serving the Lord. I mean, hello somebody. Abram is eager to serve the Lord. He's eager to please him. And so what is he doing? He's giving God his best. Notice the deep hospitality that, Abram, that Abraham is showing to the Lord here. Uh, you see it in the three ways that he shows it. In verse two, he runs to them. I'm so glad you're here. He's eager to receive them. Do you see that? We wanna be eager to receive the people that God puts in our life. And then he runs back to the tent to make sure they get good service. He runs to the herd to find them a delicious, I mean, I mean if we're gonna have cheeseburger, it's gotta be right, you know? So he's got delicious meat on the menu. And then, and then he makes sure his servant prepares it quick in verse seven. Look in verse two. He doesn't just run to him, he bows before them. He washes their feet with water. He's serving them a fresh baked meal in verse six. It's fresh baked, fresh baked bread. USDA grade A, triple A choice, right? I mean, this is the prime deliciousness that he's serving them. And then it's with butter and milk in verse eight. And then he's standing by while they eat because that's what a good waiter does. All he wants to do is serve the Lord. Do you see that? Do you see that picture? Whenever you see the Lord in your life, that's the response that's gonna come out of your life. A lot of people, what they will do is they'll say, I wanna receive the Lord into my life because I would like a servant. I'd like a divine servant in my life. I want someone to save me from my sin and give me a place in heaven. Me, 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 right, take care of me. No, 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 when you do see the Lord for who he is, that will make a servant out of you. Do You see that picture? Lord, I wanna refresh you, I wanna please you, I wanna serve you, and I will, I will extend myself to make sure that that happens. Notice, it, 
isn't just Abram that's serving the Lord. He ends up leading his family to do the same. Sarah obeys as well. So it's Father's Day, fathers, husbands. You wanna, you wanna employ your family in your service to the Lord. Sarah's position in verse nine, she's in the tent. You know, where's your wife Sarah? Behold, in the tent. But she's following Abraham's example in her service to the Lord and his people. Well, we need to do the same thing. If we see the Lord for who he is, we want our family with us in service to him. I'm so grateful for my wife. This year we'll celebrate 30 years of marriage. I mean, that's something. That's like a kind of a, a big deal. It's, uh, it's weird, I, many of you are praying for us and, and uh, you're, you're trusting the Lord with us. Uh, we're trusting the Lord to sell our home, uh, to find a home that will better accommodate the care of her mother. And um, we found a fixer-upper. And uh, it's kind of interesting how history repeats itself. Whenever we got married, we, we, we decided instead of going to someplace like Hawaii, we would buy a house. And, uh, and so we bought a house and we spent three days at, at Lake of the Ozarks on our honeymoon. And, and that's what we did. And, and we got launched into our, our life together. And uh, on our 30th, we're buying a house. And so it's a fixer-upper. We're viewing it as an investment property and, and we're gonna trust the Lord for all of that. I'm so grateful that my wife is with me uh, from the beginning, you know, right before we got married, uh, right before I proposed. You know, I, uh, we'd had conversations and, you know, honey, I might end up serving the Lord in some place with a dirt floor and, and weeds for a roof and, and I just gotta know if the Lord calls me to that, are you okay with that? And she's like, I want whatever the Lord wants for our family. And she has proven that for 30 years. Now, the way that that has worked though is I have included her in the work that God has for us as a husband and wife team in ministry. I'm so grateful for her. My children know the Lord. My children, uh, their want to is set to serving the Lord. They're not perfect. I mean, if I wanted to, I could talk trash on my kids. You're not gonna get me to do that. Uh, their want to is set to, they wanna serve the Lord. Why? Well, because my wife, man, praise the Lord. She's in with me in the mission. Husbands, fathers, let your wife, let your children see that Jesus is worth sacrificing for. He's worth serving. Let them see that you're on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that'll do? That will translate to your wife and to your children. You see that picture? Sarah's serving with Abram in refreshing the Lord. Man, I wanna do that. I wanna do that. Husbands, take charge of the spiritual direction of your family. It's Father's Day. Finally, I'm gonna get the big piece of chicken. Ah, man. No, you have an opportunity to lay down your life an example to your wife and your kids. We have to follow his example in our service to the Lord and his people. Galatians 6.10 says, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Uh, man, we wanna be hospitable to all people, but if you ever get the opportunity to pick who you're gonna show preference to, that's your brother, that's your sister in Christ, especially to them who are of the household of faith. And then Jesus sets that same example in John 13. Read verses five through 15 sometime, and you'll see Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth, washing his disciples' feet. He's doing good, especially, he's showing hospitality, especially to his household of faith. 
And this is what he says about it, John 13, 14. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you do good to the, house of, the household of faith. If I've washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. When was the last time you washed somebody's feet? We wanna be hospitable to others. I mean, our culture doesn't do that. You know, if you receive guests into your home and you set them down, you take their shoes off and you start washing their feet, I promise you, you will freak them out. They'll never come back. But how can you effectively serve the household of faith? We need to be hospitable to others. Here's the other thing. What's Abraham doing? He's drawing close to the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't he? He's drawing nigh to the Lord. And what we're gonna see, what's gonna follow through the rest of the chapter is the Lord drawing nigh to Abraham. Because Abraham is fervent in his devotion, he's growing in fellowship, what we're gonna see is the Lord now starts to reveal more of his plan, more of his purpose to Abraham. Draw nigh to the Lord, he'll draw nigh to you. And that's exactly what we're gonna see in the life of Abraham. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. Those that take God seriously, God takes them serious, and he reveals more truth to them. And that's what we're gonna see in the rest of, from verses nine through the end of the chapter. And he will show them his covenant, Psalm 25, verse 14. So here, we're gonna see now that privileged position. Abram is growing in knowing the Lord, and so the Lord is revealing truth to him. Look at verse nine. And they said unto him, where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, behold in the tent. And he, the Lord, he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah, Thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. And the Bible also tells you that Abraham was past the ability to father a child. Um, this is what's gonna happen is a supernatural birth. It's not something that's possible for them to produce in the power of their flesh. And because Sarah knows the birds and the bees, here's her response. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself saying, after I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, wherefore did Sarah laugh saying, shall I have a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And so compare scripture with scripture. She's laughing and she's saying, Shall, shall, you know, I'm waxed old. Shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? What does she mean by having pleasure? The Lord defines it. Uh, there is rejoicing when a child is born. The Lord interprets that as, wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I have a surety bear a child? There's having pleasure, bearing the child, which am old. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Um, you know, having the baby is not an, a, a cakewalk for the mother. Uh, apparently that's a pretty, uh, pretty rough road to hoe. But what the Bible says is once the babe is born, the travail is forgotten and then it's just rejoicing in the child. It was worth it when you have the baby, you know, when you hold the baby, that's the pleasure. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah lied, then Sarah denied saying, I laugh not for she was afraid. And he said, the Lord said, nay, no, but thou didst laugh. Okay, so notice Abraham's privilege in his relationship with the Lord. God now confirms 
his promise of a child. He did that in chapter 17. He's doing it again here in 18. And Sarah's response is natural. She laughs at it. Uh, Sarah, I mean, she's gonna have a baby this year. That's, you're, you're gonna have a baby. And this is understandable because Sarah paid attention in human physiology class. She knows human biology. She knows the story of the birds and bees. And she knows right well, she's in menopause, she's past menopause. I mean, she knows she can't have a baby. And she's, she, she knows where her, her husband's at physically. And, and so she knows that, that what, what the Lord just said is actually impossible because she knows the birds and the bees. The problem is is she doesn't know the Lord well enough yet. Verse 14, God's like, your problem is, is I mean, he tells him, you don't know me well enough. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I mean, God can do whatever he wants, right? I mean, if he can speak everything from nothing, then surely he can make an old lady bear a child. He is the great physician. Is anything too hard for the Lord? What's the answer to that question? No, nothing's too hard for God. So when she heard the Lord's promise, she laughed just like Abraham did back in Genesis chapter 17, verse 17. But she figured it out. I mean, at some point, she got full of faith and she got jiggy with Abram and they, they made a baby. Hebrews 11, verse 11 doesn't record, the Faith Hall of Fame doesn't record Sarah's unbelief laughing at the promises of God. Verse 11 says, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. Why? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Well, that's not what we just read. We just read she laughed at what he promised. But you know, man, come on, praise the Lord. Haven't we all been in a place like that where we see what the word of God says and we're like, no way. But then, man, God's all about growing his people up, maturing his people. And so here's Sarah getting full of faith in God's promises. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And what God promised here in Genesis chapter 19, man, that got into her mind and into her heart. She started thinking about it and then she started thinking about her husband and then they started thinking about quality time. I don't know what you call it, your house, but, but they made a baby because she believed God. And her example is a call to everyone in this room to believe that God can do the impossible. What does God's word promise over your life? Trust him to perform it. Luke chapter one verse 37 says, for with God shall nothing be impossible. So here's Sarah, she hears an impossible thing from a fleshly, worldly perspective, like no way, no how, and so she laughs. <clears throat> God knew she, I mean the Bible says she laughed in her heart, but she couldn't hide it, God knew it. God knows all things. She laughs within herself, and yet Jesus calls her out. Why? Because Jesus is the living word. The word of God, it's alive, it's quick, it's alive, it's powerful. It's, a sharp, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And that, the word of God, the, the, the person of Jesus Christ, the living word of God, the revealed word of God in his, in his written word, it's a discerner, the Bible says, of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So here she is in her heart laughing at the promises of God and what does the word say? You're full of wicked unbelief. He, Jesus calls her out on this. God knows what we're thinking. This is why a lot of times the proper prayer when we come to the word of God is, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. You gotta help me get my head around these promises that you have over my life. 
So God questions Abraham about this unbelief instead of questioning Sarah, and he does this because Abraham is Sarah's head. 1 Corinthians 11.3 tells us the structure God sets up. He says, I would have you know that the, the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. And so he just asks Abraham, why is your wife lying? Why is she lying? Why is she laughing at my promises? I'm sorry, not lying. Why is she laughing at my promises? And so in verse 15, Sarah denies. She lies, right, saying, I laugh not. That's a lie. She did laugh in her heart. The reason she lied is she was afraid. And Jesus calls her out. No way, you did laugh. Nay, but thou didst laugh. So in verse 15, Sarah lies to the Lord. And and lying to the Lord is a very serious sin. I hope you know that. Just ask Ananias and Sapphira about lying to the Lord and how that worked out with them. Uh, You can check that story out in Acts chapter five, verses one through 11. Lying to the Lord is a very serious thing. Um, God dealt harshly with them over lying because it was the beginning of the church age and he wanted to to set the record on truth telling. Uh, Everybody in this room at some point has lied to the Lord. It's always over some silly thing like uh, you really gotta go number two and there's not a bathroom in sight and now all of a sudden you're praying some silly prayer like, Lord, if you will save these britches, I will serve you with my life. Man, I'll lay down my life in service to you and then you know everything worked out, pun intended. You found the bathroom, everything's fine and the next day you're, you forgot all about your promises to quit whatever it was you're doing that was dishonoring the Lord or what you were gonna do in service to the Lord because you found a, I mean, we're that petty, aren't we? How many know what I'm talking about? (laughs) There's a few, a handful of honest people in the room. Okay, so there it is. Um, You know, that's that's what I love about who God has made us to be as a people in this place. We're We're a company of hypocrites endeavoring together to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Sarah lied because she was afraid, but God was so good to her. Even though Sarah was serving him, she was giving him hospitality, she was in need of correction and the Lord loved her enough to correct her. God gave it to her, he gave her correction and we need to do the same. We need to give loving correction. We can't bite and devour one another. You know, human nature is such that when we feel bad over how somebody treats us, then we wanna react in a way to make sure that they feel bad too. Uh, we want them to feel bad as well. We need to grow beyond that. You know, if Brock, you know, I say to him this morning, uh, happy Father's Day, and he's like, whatever, man, I got, I, got, I, got, I got students I need to take care of. And then I'm like, oh, man, Brock didn't say happy Father's Day back to me. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, Brock, Brock thinks he's better than me. What's Brock's, what's Brock's deal? And now, all of a sudden, the old man, the flesh, is coming up with a, with a way to make sure that Brock gets disrespected in a clear enough way so that he feels as bad about himself and about our relationship as I feel about myself and our relationship because he didn't say Happy Father's Day back. How many know I'm that petty? <laughs> okay, Cheryl didn't raise her hand, praise the Lord. Okay, so. There, we gotta grow beyond that. We need to be for the people, only for the people that God's placed in our life. That doesn't mean that we let people run over us over and over again, but, but accountability, maturity gives loving correction. 
Uh, we ought to be only for one another. Well, I don't like how our relationship is working out, and so I want to destroy you, or I want to make sure that you're miserable. Uh, no, I am always doing the best. I'm always the most blessed when you're thriving in your relationship with the Lord. If I'm doing something stupid, if I'm stepping into sin, I hope, I'm praying, I'm trusting that there's a mature brother or sister that will say, hey pastor, you know, the Bible says this, but it looks like you're doing that. How come, how come we're not doing this? Like I don't want to be able to get away with bulldozing my life, and bulldozing through life in such a way where I'm ignoring the word of God over my life. Loving correction is required. And so it's not to destroy a person, it's not to end them, it's not to make sure that they're miserable. No, it's to make sure that they're thriving in truth with the Lord. Does that make sense? We need to be for one another. I'm doing the best whenever you're thriving, when you're growing in your relationship with God. So the proof of Abraham's growing relationship with the Lord is seen in this next section. Let's pick it up in verse 16. And the men, here it is again, the two is what we're gonna see, rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. Well, all three do, but, but two leave. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, here it is again, now Jesus is speaking, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. So again, three men, one is the Lord, and when we get to Genesis chapter 19, verse one, we'll find out the two that left, they're actually angels. It's two angels that are going into Sodom to rescue Lot and his family before judgment comes. So what we're seeing is the proof of this patriarch in this section, and notice the proof shows up in how Abraham goes with God. He goes, Abraham goes with them to bring them on the way. So that's a, that's a picture of his walk with God. We wanna go with God, but then also, I alluded to this earlier, Abraham draws near to the Lord, and now the Lord is drawing near to him. Uh, what we're seeing here is the picture that God reveals his plans to his family and friends. Again, Psalms 25 verse 14, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. You say, you already read that verse. Okay, I'll keep going, Acts, or I'm sorry, Amos chapter three, verse seven. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth it, uh, revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Jesus says it this way in John 15, verse 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father have I made known unto you. I mean, that's beautiful. How many know that if you've got a Bible, you have an incredible offer of friendship from God himself, that God himself is revealing to you his heart, the secrets of the Father, he's giving them to us. See, the believer knows God's plans because of what he or she has in the word of God. 
What she has in God's word, what she has in his spirit and his people. So naturally, Abraham knows of future things. Abraham now knows that judgment is coming to Sodom. Abraham knows that he knows this because his nephew lives in Sodom. What's happening? Because Abram has this devotional, he's got this growing, he's got this close walk with God, what God is doing, Abraham gets in on the know. He has insight. Well, hello somebody, don't we know that judgment is coming? That the Lord is not slack concerning his promises? What it is is he's not willing that any should perish. And so that judgment is delayed. And the way the world responds to that is they respond with ridicule. Everything's continuing the way it always has. The Lord's not coming. That's just brouhaha, that's a made up fairy tale in the Bible. No, we know the reason he hasn't pronounced and executed judgment yet is because he's not willing that any would perish. But that day of judgment will come. Read 2 Peter chapter three. There's no getting around it. Okay, so we ought to have God's heart, right? Why is God revealing to Abraham that judgment is gonna fall on Sodom? So that Abraham will intercede for the lost. And that's what we'll see as this chapter wraps up. We should pray, because we know judgment is coming. We should do exactly what Abraham does, and we should call on him for mercy and forgiveness and salvation of the lost in our lives that we love. Don't miss this point. Look at verse 19. I know him, I know Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Abraham elects, is elected. God elects Abraham to all of these spiritual blessings because Abraham chose to be a follower of him. Uh, so don't get this down in your notes. God's election is based on his foreknowledge. God's election is based on his foreknowledge. First Peter chapter one verse two tells us that we're elect according to the foreknowledge of God. How are we saved? Well, we're, we're saved because we're elect. Um, people, you know, the, the typical uh, person with Calvinistic theology would say God, before the foundation of the world, elects some to salvation and he elects others to destruction, to damnation and they will frame it that way so that God looks like he's capricious and he's petty and he just chooses some people to be eternally blessed and other people to be eternally suffering. No, that's not how it works. First Peter chapter two, or chapter one, verse two tells you we're elect by God according to his foreknowledge. See, God's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He sees the end from the beginning because he's already there. In other words, God exists outside of time space. He's the creator, he's the, originer, he's the originator of space-time. And so before God set the whole of creation in motion, he saw me in time choose Jesus. He saw me confess my sin at 12 years of age and call on the Lord Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. And because he saw me choose Jesus in time, before time began, he elected me to all spiritual blessings in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you see how that works? Well, that's the same thing that God did, did, does for Abraham. He sees him being this mighty titan of faith. He doesn't start that way, he doesn't always show that way, but that's who he is. He is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so God elects him to, to these spiritual blessings. Number four, 
he shows him this because there's a big problem. Sodom's sin is very grievous to God himself. We're gonna see this when we get to Genesis chapter 19. But Romans chapter one describes the problem. Verse 26 says, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And if you didn't understand verse 26, the Bible explains it in verse 27. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. They, the people rebelling against God, going against God's natural order, rebelling and following a path of sin, they're judged and it's proper. Now God's not willing that any would perish. But at the end of the day, Romans chapter one says what it means, it means what it says, and that's exactly what's going down in the city of Sodom. These men of Sodom, people will say God destroyed Sodom because they weren't given to hospitality. Uh, That's true, they weren't given to hospitality, but they wanted to physically, sexually molest these angels that are coming to to rescue Lot and his family. Uh, This is an out of control, wicked society. Lot's in big trouble. He's gonna die. He's He's gonna face damnation. He's gonna face judgment along with the rest of these wicked people. And so what we're gonna see now in Genesis chapter 19, this is a beautiful picture. Two angels, God God answers prayer. God answers prayer so much that two angels are gonna spend an entire chapter, they're gonna spend the whole of chapter 19 just getting Lot out before destruction comes, before God's judgment is carried out on a wicked world. Okay, so what does that say about the rapture of the church? God's moving heaven and earth to get some souls out before judgment falls. Again, read 2 Peter chapter three. Lot, in your Bible, pictures the church of the last days. The Bible calls him righteous. It attributes righteousness to him. Uh, Yet at the same time, he's living in a wicked, oh yeah, he's not just living in a wicked society, he's helping to run it. He's setting in the gate. He's He's one of the fathers in the city, he's one of, the, he's one of the, the, the civic leaders of that community. So Lot, this carnal Laodicean believer in the last days, that's what he pictures. Check out Second Peter chapter two. Here's what God does in response to Abraham's prayer. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. Sodom and Gomorrah, lived in unrepentant sin, and so they got, ju- they got God's judgment, so also any that would follow after. You live in active rebellion against God and his word, you'll get God's judgment. And delivered just, ro- just Lot, D- God delivered just Lot, verse seven, vexed with the filthy lifestyle, the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Who vexed Lot, his righteous soul? I mean, you say, well, yeah, he was seeing unlawful, evil deeds. Well, yeah, and he was signing up with it. He was signing up for it because he lived in Sodom. Uh, He vexed his righteous, right, seeing the life that he was living, seeing the life that was being lived around him, hurt his righteous soul. 
But here's the good news, verse nine. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. So the picture is this. Lot pictures the believer, the Laodicean believer, who are positionally righteous in the person of Christ and yet, man, so many of God's people call themselves Christians but live like hell, huh? I mean, don't live right. They don't live according to God's word. But the believer in Jesus Christ, whether on fire for the Lord or fleshly, right, carnal in how they live, they're raptured out before tribulation comes, before judgment comes. And that's the way that it works throughout your Bible. In Luke chapter 16, you find out that God works dispensationally. And the way it works is he has someone who is his servant. It's called a chief steward. God ordains a man or a group of people to represent him and to manage his affairs in his kingdom on earth. And then what inevitably happens is the steward fails in their stewardship, they're judged and removed, and then another, another steward is established in their stead, put in their place. And that cycle repeats. You'll see seven clear cycles of this in the word of God. Starts with Adam. What's his job as the chief steward? It's to tend and keep the garden. You protect and you cultivate the garden. Uh, there's a snake in it, protect it, cultivate it. Fruit should be born to the glory of God. He fails in that stewardship and he's removed from the garden and then you see his descendants and you see their failure culminate in Genesis chapter six. It's so bad that the Bible says all flesh is corrupted on the earth. God has to, if you'll remember, he has to re hit the reset button on the human genome. Uh, Noah and his family and the animals on the ark are saved before judgment falls. Well, it's the same thing in our current dispensation. Man, we're living in a wicked, an increasingly wicked, I don't know how to tell you this. Brothers and sisters, the church is not winning the world of Christ. We're not winning this spiritual battle. We don't see more people coming to Christ than are rejecting Christ. We're losing ground. We're living in an increasingly wicked society, an increasingly godless society, an increasingly Bible-rejecting society. Okay, so just like Noah, just like Lot, can we see a few souls rescued before judgment comes? Can we, church, can we be an exception? At, our, at the beginning, you know, 15 years ago, we said, man, we're gonna trust God to be a, a, a little church that will rock the nations from the hood. Can a little inner city church rock the nations for the glory of Christ? I can't wait for you to hear the testimonies of the trip to Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, they, they got back just this last Thursday. Uh, what a fruitful time that they had. God is opening so many doors in Kenya. Uh, the, the Vietnam team is working, we've got the Vietnam team in the second service now and we've got, a, we've got, a, we've got fruit and disciples in, in, in Ho Chi Minh. Uh, we're trusting the Lord to see people sent over this next year to come alongside those disciples and see a, a, a local church, a soul-winning, disciple-making, leadership-equipping church uh, in Asia. I mean, how amazing is that? We wanna, be, we wanna be, in the last of the last days, we wanna be a people that win souls and make disciples. Can we get just a few more people on the ark? Can we get a few more people into Christ can we be like those angels 
and, and rescue the perishing before judgment falls? Can we be like Abraham and cry out and beg God to save souls? Look at verse 23. And we're gonna reprise this this Tuesday night in our prayer ministry meeting. But I want you to see Abraham engage in fervent prayer ministry for his lost that's the picture, you know, his, his nephew is gonna be destroyed in God's judgment. Abraham drew near, verse 23, and said, wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and spare not the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked? That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Okay, so he's praying according to the character that he knows God has. You're not gonna judge the righteous. You're not gonna treat the righteous the way you do the wicked. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Far be it, like, like Abraham is coaching Jesus on how he ought to live. <laughs> That's how he's praying. Um, it's pretty bold. And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the 50 righteous. What's happening is Abraham's doing the math. You know, would you destroy it if there were 50, you know, 50 people who took you serious? Would you destroy that city? And the Lord's like, yeah, no, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. And he's like, uh-oh. What if there's not 50? You know, he's thinking, it's pretty bad over there. So he's like, okay, what if, what if it's just 45? I won't destroy it for 45. Okay, but now, he says, <laughs> he says, he speaks again, verse 29. He spake it unto him yet again and said, peradventure, there shall be 40 found there. And the Lord's response, he said, I, I will not do it for 40's sake. And then he said unto him, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Peradventure, there shall be there shall 30 be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30. If there's 30 righteous, I won't destroy the city. And again, Abraham's doing the math. He's like, it's really bad in Sodom. I mean, really bad. Maybe I'm, like the Lord still looks like he's going to execute judgment, maybe. So he, he, he's negotiating in prayer. So he goes from 30, he says, behold, I've taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be 20 found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 20's sake. And he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet, yet but this once. Peradventure 10 shall be found there. And he, the Lord said, I will not destroy it for 10's sake. And the Lord went his way, and as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. So he starts with 50, but he gets to thinking about it, and he realizes, and, and we'll see this when we get to Genesis chapter 19, it may be that he gets to 10 because that's how many that are actually in Lot's family. There's a couple ways to look at his daughters. Are there, are there some daughters that are married and two that weren't married? Um, could that be then that, that, that one or both of those daughters, had, like was he already a grandfather? In other words, it may be that, that maybe Abraham's making a case now just for Lot's family because at the end of the day, that's the only people he knows in Sodom and that's really what's on his heart. He doesn't wanna lose his family. So what are we seeing? We're seeing a praying patriarch He's interceding in prayer for the lost. He's interceding in prayer for his family. Can I just tell you, true prayer, true prayer 
effectual, fervent prayer is born out of compassion for the lost. Abraham doesn't want to lose his nephew. He loves him. And the idea of him being destroyed with the rest of that wicked society, it's too much for him. So he's begging God. He's trying to work a deal out with God. Do you see that? Abraham loved Lot, and so he's got God's heart in this matter. He's not willing that he perish. I know he has God's heart in this matter because why else did the Lord reveal to him that Sodom's coming destruction was nigh unless it was to get Abraham to make a case for Lot? Why did he tell him? So, am I gonna, should I tell Abraham what I'm gonna do? Abraham, he's doing it right, man. He's a disciple. He's gonna train up his kids in the way that they should go. He's gonna be the father of all who, the father of faith of all who believe. Uh, he's gonna be a spiritual example of faith to everyone moving forward in history. Do I, do I tell him what I'm gonna do about Sodom? He told him. He reveals it to him. Why? So that Lot will have somebody praying for him, somebody interceding on his behalf. In 1 Timothy chapter two, the Bible tells us to make all kinds of prayers for all kinds of men, why? Because God's not willing that any perish. He wants all to be saved. Nobody gets saved but what somebody's praying. My brother participated in the murder of a man. Uh, he helped to end a man's life. Um, he, he had made professions of faith as a child coming up, but there was no evidence of Christ in his life. It, and then it showed up in his life of drugs and partying. Uh, he didn't want anything to do with the things of God. He wanted to live his life his way, and it ended in murder. And I am personally convinced that he was suicidal. He wanted to meet with the family. <laughs> I was convinced it was probably to, to, to murder the rest of his family and then commit suicide. And thankfully, the police picked him up and he went to jail, he went to county. It was while he was in county, right, he was in the detention center here in Kansas City, that he sobered up, right? It's tougher to get drugs in jail. Okay, so he sobers up and he starts reading his Bible. He wasn't in jail for a month and he's reading the Bible and he professes Christ as his Lord and Savior. Do you know why he did that? When my brother was arrested, my mom and dad got fervent in prayer. Um, his family, I, I believe it was the prayers of my parents primarily, but even me and my sister, uh, we destroyed a couch. There was snot all over it. <laughs> I, just, I mean, we destroyed a piece of furniture, begging God to have mercy on our brother. Man, praise the Lord, he's still in prison, but he'll be with me in heaven. <laughs> you know, I'm so grateful for that. Don't we all have, I would, I'd ask for a show of hands, but somebody will lie. We all have physical family that do not know Christ. And you say, well, that, you know, they're hard-hearted and, and I may not have them with me in heaven. Where's the begging God to do what only he can do? This is, your, this is your brother, this is your sister, this is your niece, this is your nephew, this is your cousin. And you're gonna lose them forever because you can't get brokenhearted over the lostness. Is it because you're just too busy rocking out in Sodom? Too busy living the Sodom lifestyle, living in a Sodom world? Just trying to keep your head down? Man, we got, I mean, we got 
we live in a day and age where most Christians are trying to go along to get along. We're trying to be cool and groovy to a lost world so that they will accept us and not reject us when really what we need to be doing is getting a hold of God and having power in our witness because that's the only hope. We're not gonna win the lost world by being worldly. We're not gonna win the lost world by living like the lost world. Where are the people that will get on their knees and cry out to God so that there's power in their witness, there's power in their testimony? When the dust all clears, you wanna be, tr- be part of the team that's saying, I told you. <laughs> like you wanna be a Bible nerd, you wanna be a Bible thumper because heaven and earth will pass away, but this book shall in no wise pass away till all be fulfilled. Not one jot, not one tittle, none of it will end, none of it will fail, none of it will be lost. Man, I wanna be with God, I don't wanna offend him. I wanna be with God, I wanna agree with him. We got too many worldly Christians just trying to get along with the lost world when we need to be salt and light. God calls us to be a peculiar people. So I'm saying, you know, don't be a jerk. We wanna be winsome in our witness. We wanna be loving in our witness. We wanna be effective in our witness. But at the end of the day, we gotta get a hold of God and we have to declare what his word says because that's the only hope for a lost and fallen world. Lot has death coming. He moved to Sodom and he deserved Sodom's fate. But Abraham, look at verse 23, he's requesting. He's not demanding anything. He's just pleading before the Lord. He's letting his request be made known unto God. In verse 25, he's praying based on who God is. And he can do that because he knows God. He knows God's word. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. We pray in faith in his person and his word. In verse 27, he's humble before God in prayer. He's coming boldly before the throne of God and he's finding grace. And notice how he negotiates with God in prayer. This is importunate prayer, right? It's fervency in prayer, it's desperation in prayer. He's being persistent in prayer. He's not gonna let, he's like Jacob. We're gonna see him later on in Genesis. He's, he's wrestling with God and he won't let go until he gets the answer, until he gets the blessing. He's desperate for a lot. Even though, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, he's negotiate. he starts with 50, he gets down to 10. But he got God's promise to spare the city for Lot's sake. The problem is, Lot didn't have an impact on, on Sodom. He didn't have an impact on his family. When we get to Genesis chapter 19, we find out there's not even 10 righteous. Not even his family all come to Christ. Lot had family that was destroyed in that city, Lot in heaven today has family that's in hell. Right now, today, Lot, this world, the picture of Lot's life is this worldly Christian. He didn't have an impact on Sodom. He didn't have an impact on his own family. And that's like too many believers today. Too many churches today. You know, worldly churches don't work to see the wicked saved. Fish don't catch fish. A worldly church, an unholy church, they don't work to see the lost regenerated and saved and born again. You know, even though Abraham couldn't get completely real with God, he couldn't just come out and say it. Please save Lot, please save my nephew. God heard his heart, you know, the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of his heart. 
And so God met him there, and Lot was saved. We'll see that in Genesis 19. But that's why the Bible tells you to pray. Nobody in this room knows how to pray right. I'm the prime example of that, okay? None of us know how to pray right. Romans chapter eight tells you, though, to make prayer because the Spirit is helping us. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession with us, or for us, with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Uh, We're gonna come back to this passage this Tuesday night in our corporate prayer meeting. We need, to, we need to beg God for the lost in our family. We need to beg God. We need to negotiate with God. We need to plead with the Lord. We need to be importunate. We need to be fervent. We need to be desperate in prayer that the lost might be brought to Christ. You say, well, you don't, you don't know my family member. They're so hard-hearted. They're so in love with the world. You know, we like to quote things like, you know, a prophet has honor everywhere except his own country, you know. Jesus' brothers despised him. You know, we'll, we'll come up with statements like that. You know, the best thing for our family members is for them to see that we're on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, that they can see the difference that a life in Christ makes. I've seen it both ways. Uh, I've got family that I've been able to impact because I was fervent in the Lord, and I've got family that I've been faithless over because I've, I've felt like there was no hope and according to my faith, be it unto me, right? That's the principle. I need to repent of that. Uh, we've all got family that, just like Abraham has Lot, that's in dire straits, except the Lord move, except God work a miracle. There's no heart that's so hard that God can't hear our prayer and then go and break their heart and show them their need of the gospel. There is no life that is so clueless that they can't see the truth of the gospel. God tells us in 1 Timothy 2 to make prayers for the lost because he wants them to be saved. Nobody gets saved but what we pray. If we pray unbelieving prayers, we haven't prayed, have we? But if we get full of faith and we pray in faith, I'm just begging you, would you pray for my family? I've got family members that don't know Christ and except God works a miracle, I will have flesh and blood that will spend eternity separate from Christ and in a literal hell. I don't want that. I know my, my dad, he's, he's, he's broken before the Lord over extended family members that don't know Christ. I, I wanna join with him in praying, right? I wanna join with you in praying for the lost. We've got judgment coming, right? It's right around the corner, judgment is coming. Uh, judgment, fire, will, f- uh, read first, read Second Peter chapter three, it's coming. We need to get it. We need to get just a few on the ark. We need to get a few more in Christ. Uh, Let's be the exception in the last days. Let's see a few more repent of sin and call on Christ as Lord and Savior. God will do that in answer to our prayers. Over the last two and a half years, with all of the COVID craziness and all the political drama, what, 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 what we're hearing in the statistics of church world, church life, is that the typical church has had a 50% decrease 
in their church attendance and their church activity. 50% decrease. Brothers and sisters, the church is not winning. <laughs> we're not being, okay, now praise the Lord. We haven't had any decrease. As a matter of fact, we're growing uh, bit by bit. Uh, I mean, so help us God by his grace. We're growing. I'm praying that it's, if the Lord tarries, that that's the tip of the iceberg. So help us God by his grace. We wanna grow in being a soul winning, disciple making, equipping ministry, amen? Amen. That was pretty weak, but I'll take it. Man, if that could just start with our families. Those that profess Christ, that they would get on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop making excuses for your family and the rebellion and their wickedness and start praying for them. Stop making excuses for your family over why they don't have a relationship with the Lord and, and with that, stop making excuses for yourself over why you're not walking in faith, why you're not walking in right relationship with the Lord. The best thing you can do for your family is get on fire and be part of a soul-winning, disciple-making ministry. Get on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ and that will, just let them get caught up in your wake. Uh, You've heard the testimony of my sister, how her life changed because she read the diary that I kept, the journal that I kept on my first mission trip. And uh, I'm unpacking, I just got back from the airport, I'm putting my stuff away and I look over and my sister's bawling. And uh, I didn't know how to talk to her, I just said, well, you know, she's like, what's going on with you? Why'd you do something so crazy? You go into a a communist country, it was, the, it was when Roman, uh, uh, Romania just fell, the communism, uh, the communistic government just fell. And I went with the discipleship team there on my first missions trip, foreign missions trip. Why would you do, do something that stupid? And I'm like, well, God's been working in my life. Well, what's he doing? Well, here, I wrote it all down. And I just had her read my journal, I'm putting my stuff away, and I hear her sob, and I'm like, what's wrong? What's wrong, sis? And she's like, what you have with the Lord, I don't have. How do I get this? How do I get, I don't know, man. If I were you, I'd dump that lost guy that you're engaged to and I'd come to Kansas City and I'd start getting discipled. That's what I would do. And she's like, okay. She goes back and she talks to her lost Catholic boyfriend and she says, I gotta go to Kansas City because I gotta, I gotta follow the Lord with my life. And he's like, well, I wanna follow the Lord too. Uh, can I come? And she's like, yeah, that's fine, but I'm going to Kansas City. <laughs> And uh, praise the Lord, I got to disciple him and he got saved uh, in the discipleship relationship and, and uh, they're, they're serving the Lord today. They're fervent in their service to the Lord today. Well, you should see the fights that me and my sister had had up to that point. I mean, they were spectacular. Why would she ever listen to me? Man, I just love my sister and I just shared with her what God's doing in my life and then God used that in hers. This, see how that works? I could never talk to my family member about the things of the Lord. Well, don't worry about it. You follow hard after the Lord, and you talk to the Lord about your family, and then just watch what God does. Does this make sense? Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, and Lord, I'm begging you, Lord, would you employ my brothers and sisters in praying with me for my family? Uh, just like the thought of losing my little brother for eternity was unbearable. Uh, there, are, there are other family members that We've, got, we've all got lots. We've got somebody like Lot in our life that God except you just work a miracle. We'll lose them forever. And, and so Lord, would you bring us together this Tuesday night to call on them 
But Lord, why wait for that? We wanna start today. And so Lord, we've all got family that needs to know you, and, and so Lord, help us to pray faith prayers, believing prayers. God, would you work in and through us to see them come to Christ? Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.